you know, whether it's 6,000 or 10,000 or 20,000 or 30,000, whatever it might be on your first small independent feature like that, you're not going to get your money back, right? And you shouldn't even be concerned with getting your money back. What you're getting is you're getting the experience of making a feature film and then you're getting the respect that comes along with the fact that you finished it and that credit where people now want to work with you and you've done it. Welcome back to the Rough Cut Club podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today if this is your first time. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the presence of greatness today. One of the most uh, influential <laughs> creatives in our city. We got an award-winning producer and award-winning filmmaker. Uh, not only that, but he is also the founder of a nationwide nonprofit, creator of a film festival, welcoming with us the Dallas Film Commissioner, Mr. Tony Armour. Tony, welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, I need you guys as my hype men from, from now on. Anytime <laughs> I go anywhere, just let you uh, introduce me when I walk into restaurants and wherever else. Yeah, we are so honored to have you on our show, my, my man, and uh, excited to just dig into a little bit of your story and what the Dallas Film Commission offers uh, filmmakers in our city um, and kind of what it means to be uh, just the Dallas Film Commissioner and what that role looks like. Yeah, it's a, it's a great title. Nobody ever knows what it means. Yeah, so, well, I, I think I'd like to kick the show off, too. Uh, if you could even tell us, like, what is an overview on what a film commission is in general? Yeah, so it can be a lot of different things. You know, the primary thing in a, in a lot of cases is helping productions with whatever logistical stuff that they need to make a project happen, right? So you're looking for crew, you're looking for locations, you're looking for resources in the Dallas area, you're, whether you're coming from out of town or whether you're local, whatever it might be, you know, our job is to help you, you know, make your production happen and, and get things going here. Some film commissions, a lot of film commissions handle the permits for their area where I came from in Florida that I was where I was film commissioner nine years before this, you know, my office handled all of the film permits for 24 cities in the county as well. But in Dallas, the city of Dallas actually manages the permits. So we don't handle the permit process, but we work hand in hand with the city when it comes to permitting. So we're still able to answer those questions and help you out when it comes to, you know, what is needed as far as permitting goes. And so that's a that's a big logistical part of it. But then, you know, another aspect is, you know, our job is to bring projects to Dallas, right? What can we do to recruit projects to come to Dallas? And so that is a lot of sales and marketing and networking and traveling to film festivals and just being really creative in the way that you are promoting Dallas and, and trying to get people here. And then we do a lot of community-based things as well. You know, we just brought a uh, 16-time Oscar nominee, two-time Oscar winner Roger Deakins to town, you know, for a the series legend. of uh, events and Q&As and book signings and did stuff with SMU and at the Texas Theater, you know, so that kind of stuff also raises the profile of Dallas because people see that and they like, wow, man, what, what the hell is happening in Dallas? Um, and that's great for the community as well. Uh, you know, we'll do educational workshops on a whole variety of topics, so that sort of workforce development education. So it's like this broad, you know, scope of a lot of, of, a lot of different things. And I think I'm a little bit different from a lot of other film commissioners because my background is also as a filmmaker and not a lot of film commissioners have that background. A lot of them just are uh, government employees and they're good at what they do, but they don't have that creative expertise of actually working in the 
industry in a lot of cases. And so I try and be really creative and approach the film commission like a producer. So what can, how can we work with you know, productions, whether it's commercials or student films, all the way up to big TV series and indie films and whatever it would be. You know, how do we work with you like a producer would work with you to make things happen? So that's a that's a real brief uh, brief overview there. Tony and I and I I just want to say too, man, I've I've really enjoyed. You know, I've been doing film for uh, almost 13 years now in the DFW area, and seeing you come in, one of the things that I've loved seeing you do is the YouTube. Um, kind of educational content that y'all are putting out so you know tony and i connected i think uh shortly after uh the texas expo and we talked and he told me about the youtube series so i highly recommend everybody watching or listening go to their website go to their youtube channel i watched an hour and a half uh kind of master class that tony had put on as a producer himself and as the dallas film commissioner that talks about uh, funding and distribution for your films and I, and there's so much like misinformation I feel like out there and so hearing it from Tony and seeing case studies up on the screen anyways Tony it's great highly recommend it and thank you for doing that for the industry as the Dallas Film Commissioner uh, it's been great and so do you have more of those planned are y'all going to be doing more of those kind of workshops and then putting them online as well yeah, absolutely. Any workshop that we do, we're, we're going to put uh, on our YouTube channel and then make each of those an episode of our podcast. So we're actually launching our Dallas Film Commission podcast on uh, October, uh, August 7th, on August 7th. Awesome. So we've got 13 episodes in the can already. And then, and then every time we record or we have one of these you know, live uh, workshops, we're going to record those and we'll put those on the YouTube channel and they'll become an episode of the podcast. And so... You know, the one that you're talking about, uh, which is titled, you know, The Truth, How to Get Your Idea or Screenplay Made, you know, kind of came about because it was a question that I just got all the time, you Mm. know, when I was in Florida. And then, you know, now still, you know, you just have somebody reach out and say, hey, I've got this great idea for uh, for a movie. Will you help me make it? And I'm like, well, that's not what that's not what a film commission does. And it's hard to just explain to somebody this is how the industry works. Or, hey, I've got this great screenplay that I've written or that my dad wrote or whatever it might be, you know, and how, how do I actually get this made? And so because I have a background not just as a filmmaker but in raising money for films and distribution and getting it, you know, projects just distributed and going through that whole process, um, you know, I put together that hour and a half program basically with a full PowerPoint that I go and, you know, go through and break down. This is what international distribution looks like and why it's important, how it ties into your project, why things work this way. And so people have been really, uh, really happy with that, uh, with that program that I've put kind of put together. And we're continuing those workshops. We've got another three coming up in August. So there'll be like three consecutive weeks in a row. We'll do, we'll do those. So if you're in, you know, Dallas area, we're doing those uh, at the Texas Theater. And then, you know, they'll go on to the YouTube channel as well. That's excellent. Yeah, it's good stuff, Joey. We, you yeah. got to check it out, man. I, I watched the whole thing. Uh, there's a Q&A section at the end, and it's 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 fantastic. Man, it sounds like y'all are doing even more than I was even aware that y'all are doing just with the education series, the podcast. You got obviously a lot going on just helping fund and distro films and uh, helping produce films, finding locations and permits and whatnot. Are there any incentives that you guys offer that you feel like makes Dallas a unique um, like market to make films in? Yeah, I think everybody is uh, excited now because we have $200 million in the Texas Incentive Program. So the program's been around for a few years. 
and the state just needed to put more money in. And so now, $200 million, that can go a long way towards attracting a lot of productions. And the way that that works is that it's scalable on different levels. You know, you can get incentives for film, television, video games, animation, commercials, whatever it might be. But I think most people are interested in sort of the film and television aspect of it. So, you know, if you are a budget of $3.5 million or more, you can get 20%. If you're between 1 million and 3.5, you get 10%. And if you're below a million, you get 5%. And you can get an additional 2.5% bump on top of any of those if you shoot in any area that is basically not Dallas or Austin. And if you do shoot in Dallas or Austin, there are sort of designated underdeveloped zones that if you shoot in that area, you get that 2.5%. So, for example, Southside Studios in Dallas falls into that zone. So even if you just put your production offices there, you get that extra 2.5%. And it's actually the only soundstage in the entire state of Texas that you can get that additional 2.5%. And so that's, uh, you know, that's pretty exciting. Uh, You know, the only problem that I really have with the program is that it doesn't incentivize you know, true indie films or indie filmmakers, you know, to get 5% if you're under a million dollars doesn't really help you out a lot, right? Which is, which is not great. And I think, I think that it should be the same percentage across, across the board because you want to grow your industry. You want to develop the young and up-and-coming filmmakers so that they'll continue to stay in Texas and shoot in Texas. And so I, I, I wish that that under a million or that between a million and 3.5 were also a full 20% because I think that's important to incentivize those smaller projects to keep them, you know, keep them in the state basically and grow your local talent. And then on top of that, I'm working on putting together a local incentive just for Dallas, which would be great. So, you know, you'd get the state incentive and then whatever the project might be, you know, Dallas itself can give you an extra ten, fifty, hundred thousand dollars for a project to make sure that you That's shoot awesome. in Dallas because that state incentive obviously you can go anywhere, but we want you to shoot here. That's great news, man. That's that's yeah. exciting for Texas. I'm I'm looking forward to all of that. Yeah, I feel like and this is maybe you can enlighten me on this, but I feel like the film commission in general, as much as you guys are doing, is is not being maximized to its fullest potentials by filmmakers here in the city. Like, I feel like you, y'all have so many incentives like that set up to help filmmakers succeed. Uh, And correct me if I'm wrong, but do you feel like the film commission is currently stretched and maximized to its potential? Or do you feel like more filmmakers can take advantage of these incentives that you guys are trying to bring to the city? Yeah, I think... You know, right now, since it literally, you know, just went live within the last month or something like that with having that money available, there's plenty of opportunity for productions to shoot. So I'm excited to get, you know, anybody and everybody shooting. It depends on on the size of the project and how many Dallas can handle at one particular time without having to bring outside crew in. But there's a great, really talented crew base in Dallas. And so, you know, we're just excited to get those first productions. And interestingly enough, right now, you know, with the SAG and the WGA strike, happening you know nobody's working right as far as SAG goes so what SAG is actually doing is they are giving out a lot of the waivers for independent productions that are not a part of the big studio negotiations for this contract so what that means is these independent film productions have the opportunity to get this big name talent that normally doesn't do independent films or normally is busy working on big projects and the reason that SAG is doing that is the the more they can the more that they can keep their people working 
the longer they can last in the strike against the big guys. And so SAG is more than happy to hand out these waivers to independent productions. And so there's like a flood of productions that are asking. So if you're an indie filmmaker right now, you need to be applying for the Texas incentive and going after some of this big name talent because you can still shoot your film. Not everything is shut down. People make it sound like the entire industry is shut down when it's not true. You know, if you're in indie production, you can still go and you can still happen. And it's really prime time for you to do it right now before those big studio projects come back and kind of steal all the business away. That is super fascinating, man. I was actually going to bring up the strike and how it's impacted you guys and just how you feel like it's impacted the city of Dallas specifically. Do you feel like it's impacted the city in any other ways or are there any other opportunities, like you mentioned, for indie filmmakers because of the strike? Yeah, right now it hasn't impacted the area because we didn't have anything that was shooting that shut down. So everything was done. You know, the Chosen TV series that shoots in Midlothian area and, you know, most of their crews from Dallas, Fort Worth area, they're actually wrapping up their final two weeks in Utah. This might be their last week or they might even be done. Uh, they got the waiver from SAG to be able to continue shooting. And then all of Taylor Sheridan stuff, yep. you know, that was already all wrapped and done. So there wasn't anything big that had to shut down. And Dallas is such a big commercial market that all the commercial stuff is still shooting. Right. It doesn't affect that at all. But what it really does is it's an opportunity right now. People need to take advantage of the opportunity. So that's what I'm excited for. You know, I keep telling people, I was like, apply for that state incentive. The money's there right now. Let's get it. Let's get stuff shooting while the strike is happening. Man, that's so cool. So Taylor Sheridan's films obviously have been a, a massive part of the big Texas movies that have been shot here. And The Chosen has been the number one crowdfunded film in history if i'm if i'm not mistaken and those are two of the big films that i know about happening uh in texas are there any like what's the opportunity like for major film productions to happen here in texas in the future because i feel like right now there's there's only a small handful but i feel like so many people are migrating here to to texas and to dallas and austin specifically do you feel like do you feel like there's about to be another big wave of major feature films happening here in Texas and specifically in Dallas? There's a huge opportunity now, again, with this $200 million. All the big studios are, are starting to take a look at Texas. We're, we're going to have productions come here um, and big productions. It's really just a matter of, you know, when is the the WGA and the SAG strike over as far as those larger productions go, which is why I'm, you know, kind of pushing for the indies to shoot right now because it's an opportunity for them to shoot. But, yeah, it's going to be great because with that amount of money, you know, we had the Dallas TV series reboot, uh, you know, the Queen of the South shot two seasons, um, you know, a couple other series shot, you know, pilot episodes and some things like that here. Cruel Summer, I, I believe, shot here, you know, a few years ago. So you're going to get those big series coming back that are shooting for six months at a time and spending millions and millions of dollars. So we're definitely going to see that. And, you know, we're excited to to have that come back. And the goal is to keep that going and get bigger productions as well. There are going to be some, some things underway as far as soundstage development in the area that is really going to make it even more attractive for productions to to come here love that man i love that so i want to i want to touch base too on on the indie filmmaker side because i feel like a lot of our audience can identify um more as the indie filmmaker who are either trying to make you know bigger commercial projects or their own super small budget features they're trying to get that first hundred to two hundred thousand dollar feature off the ground is there anything that you feel like 
producers are specifically looking for for the indie filmmakers um, who are tr either trying to get work uh, in that arena or anything specific for indie filmmakers who are trying to get a project off the ground that maybe isn't that three three million dollar price point yeah i know three million dollars is a lot of money right <laughs> <laughs> not everybody can just go out and raise that kind of money or get the actors that you need to put that kind of production together and and that's why you know that's why i i feel like the indie filmmakers are those are my people i've made my fair share of low budget uh films over the years that are you know my first feature film that I shot in 2004, I did for a budget of six thousand dollars. So, you know, I, I I know what it I know what it takes to put these small little projects together. And even if you have a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, that is a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money right. for a film, right? And so, the problem the problem is you're not getting any kind of incentive for shooting that. And so that's why I'm hoping to be able to build some kind of local incentive program that's going to be able to give a little bit to you know to filmmakers. And at that level, what it really depends on at that point is, you know, because what you're creating at that point is you're creating a business yeah. card, right? You know, you're shooting something that's going to be super low budget that you want to get some kind of distribution out there so people can see it. You want to play film festivals and it's just to show what you can do as a filmmaker to step up to that, to that next level. But the big uh, important thing with that, and I talked about it a lot in that workshop that I did, the finance and distribution workshop, was you don't want to take somebody's money and then not be able to get it back to them. Because when that happens, they'll never invest in another film of yours again, right? Your goal when you're shooting a film, even if it's a $100,000 film, is to make the film, get the investor their money back so that they'll feel comfortable putting more money into your next film or, you know, the same amount or whatever it might be. There's way too many filmmakers out there who've, you know, raised $100,000, $200,000 and then never got the financing back to the to the producers, the executive producers that put the money in. And, you know, they'll be like, well, that was a great experience. I invested it in a film one time and I lost all my money, so I'm not going to do it again. So it's important to, to, to know how to get that money back. And unless it's something where it's, you know, you've raised the money in crowdfunding, you can talk about The Chosen, which obviously the most successful crowdfunding campaign in history without the amount of money they've raised to, to shoot four seasons of that show, which is amazing. And... You know, there are, you know, crowdfunding ways or arts grants or grants from all kinds of different organizations around the country or friends and family or whatever it might be. You know, if, if the money is a donation or a gift, that's one thing. But if it's an investment and the person really wants their money back, then don't burn them on that because you're really hurting yourself, you know, moving, moving forward. Yeah, that's that's so much wisdom, man. And you 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 touched on something too that I, I want to make sure that our audience didn't miss, which is the the short film being a business card. That's such a pro tip, I guess, in the industry where when you're making a short film, a lot of times they don't actually generate income, but you use them as a pitch deck piece for uh, pitching or uh, getting funding for a feature or trying to help get a feature off the ground. Uh, and I think that's such a ninja tactic, if you will, on how to actually get um, that feature off the ground. Is there any other, I guess, tips that that you feel like a lot of indie filmmakers are overlooking and utilizing the Dallas Film Commission? Um, you know, as far as utilizing the Dallas Film Commission, uh, you know, a lot of what I do is people just reach out and they want advice, right? Right. <laughs> so. Uh, so that's why, you know, I talk on all these podcasts and we do these workshops because it's hard to sit down with every single person that just wants to have mm -hmm. a conversation and talk about, you know, how do I break into the industry? That's kind of the biggest thing. How do I do this? You know, I had a conversation with a guy yesterday who 
wants to create a documentary and but has never really made a film before his expertise is in other you know business areas and so trying to guide them on how to do that and and you know that's what the crew database on our website is for is like hey if you need to find good people here is a list of them all in the Dallas area and so you know making sure that people are are utilizing sort of those things that we have to kind of take it take advantage of that and to your point about short films being a business card yeah definitely the the short film as a proof of concept for a feature is a, a long it's been a long list of films that where shorts have been turned into features and i'll see a lot of times somebody's like i've raised fifty thousand dollars to shoot this short film i'm like why would you spend fifty thousand dollars on a short film one if you have fifty thousand dollars make a super low budget right. feature film because there is no money in making short films. You'll ne- you're never going to make any money yeah. on short films. And I know some filmmakers are like, yeah, but so-and-so made the short film that made this much money. Those are outliers. Right. Don't plan your business model around outliers. You know, what is what is the way the actual business works? And so, you know, if you're able to raise a bunch of money and, you know, especially horror films. I mean, come on. Right. Everybody and their brother can shoot a $50,000 horror film, right? I mean, it is what it is. Or, you know, you're not going to go out and have car chases and all kinds of crazy stunts and all kinds of things in a, a low-budget film like that. I mean, some people have sure. been able to pull it off, but, you know, what can you do? What can you do with what you got? You know, write the script around the resources that you have and that you have access to and, you know, maximize that, basically. I 100% agree. And, Tony, one of the – it's funny because one of our good friends, co-producer, uh, she and her partner, they had made – a short film, and then they used it as a pitch, right? So they didn't invest too much in the short film, but, you know, invested a little yep. bit of money, and now they funded their feature film. So, you know, what you're saying, what we, we've been hearing, you know, it's definitely proof that you can use that short film kind of as a, a pitch deck and as a stepping stone to shoot that feature. And something that you had mentioned in that YouTube series, which I, I took away from, I love this, you know, I think for some filmmakers, even us, I go, well, I need to shoot three, four, five short films before I, you know, test the waters in a feature. And something Tony said during his uh, uh, education YouTube series, he said, if you look at somebody on IMDb and they got 30 short films, but not a single feature, but you look, and I'm paraphrasing, you could go watch exactly how I said it, but he said, you see somebody on IMDb with one feature, when you go to hire somebody, you're going to hire the person with a feature film. And he said, the fe- you know, completing a feature is part of that process showing that you can actually complete the feature film and so i think that's really great but the big uh caveat on that as well is get your people's money back right get your financiers money back and i think that's so i think that's what i think scares a lot of indie filmmakers not understanding how to do that and again i don't think tony has time to go through his whole you know that youtube video exists go watch that Um, but tony anything that you could what what you know is there any first kind of steps um and you've kind of already mentioned that write the script around things that you can do use the money that you uh you know have to you know don't make your script too big and extravagant but any other tips you would give maybe an indie filmmaker that is transitioning from short films to go to features yeah and thanks for thanks for watching the whole video that's an hour and a half it's a lot to watch i'm glad i was interesting enough for for an hour and a half for you to watch that um but yeah to to that point you know, features hard, right? I mean, it it takes a lot longer to shoot. It uh, it takes longer to edit. You know, you've got to do all the post production work on it. You know, you're locking yourself up for six months or nine months or a year, however long it takes you to complete that 
project where you know you can knock a short film out in a month or a couple months or depending on depending on what you're doing. But the what but what you get in return, you know, when I when I did my uh, my feature that was six thousand dollars, you know, after I finished that film. People were like, oh, you made a feature? They didn't ask, you know, can I see this awful $6,000 feature film that you made? They just knew that I had completed and actually finished it. And right. that is just a small miracle in and of itself. And then so people started asking me, like, hey, will you help me produce this film? Will you work on, on this project with me? So it opens all those doors of people knowing that you made a feature and then wanting to partner with you and do it. And there are ways to do it. You know, people are like, well, I can't take three weeks off of work to go shoot a feature film. Well, the way we did this one is we would shoot Saturday and Sunday only. And so Monday through Friday, essentially working regular jobs and also doing pre-production. So you're doing five days of pre-production, then you shoot for two days. Then you do five days of pre-production, then you shoot for two days. So if you're willing to give up, you know, two or three months of your weekends to shoot your feature, you can just shoot it every single weekend. And by the time you've gone through a couple of months, you know, you've got 15, 16, 17, 18, whatever it is, day shoot. And so... That's an indie. That's an indie shoot, right? And you can be more prepared for each, each setup, each you know, each day that you're shooting because you're spending five days getting ready for each of those, each of those next two days that you're going to shoot. So that's a strategy to be able to shoot a really low budget feature, and to be able to have people still work their jobs and not have to to quit and that kind of thing. Because then you're just asking somebody, hey, come out and volunteer your time on a Saturday and Sunday. And when when this is done, we're gonna all together, we will have created a feature film because it's a collaborative process, right? Nobody's making a movie by themselves. So you get a good team together, people you enjoy working with, friends willing to donate some time on the weekends and be a part of you know making your feature film essentially. So my crappy little feature film that I made in 2004, you know, one of the things that you know that happened on that is uh, we met these guys that were a motorcycle stunt team, you know, standing on the seats and doing wheelies and all that kind of stuff and just asked them, "Hey, can we film you guys doing that stuff? Come to this this location this day and time, we'll film you doing that." And we literally wrote it into the script. And we're like, "How do we write this into the script?" And so now we have this cool motorcycle stunt sequence in the film that we got for free because we just wrote it into the uh, screenplay because we had something we had access to and met these guys and wanted to do it. And so it was super easy and it was fun and they had a great time with it. And, you know, so what do you, what do you have access to? Who do you know that you can use and incorporate? That I love that. You're getting me excited, Tony. We, uh, you give me ideas too. I'm, I'm, you know, immediately we, we know this, uh, drift driver, That's you true. know, and I'm just yeah. like, we got to make a movie with like a drift driver in it and get, uh, Max first involved, right. you know, right. So right. he was one of our podcast guests and we just finished <laughs> shooting a kind of spec commercial with him. So, man, that's that's great advice for indie filmmakers, yeah. man. I'm getting pumped. And, and I want to ask you, too, on the just the low-budget feature creation piece. So, like, you know, obviously, if you're doing a feature for $6,000, you're donating your time and resources and rallying a team of people who are just happy to volunteer their time and, and, and gain experience and whatnot. But I... You, you, there's no real budget for like a big list of cast, uh, especially a well-known cast. So you have to do a smaller uh, scope script, if you will, with just like a select few key people. What do you feel like the return on investment is for doing features like that? Because I've I've heard that, and you may be able to enlighten me, but I've heard that uh, it's really hard to sell films without. Uh, a notable cast in them and you can do them without a big uh, name brand cast of course but what what was the real return on investment for you uh, in making that first small budgeted feature 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, the you know when you're spending, you know, whether it's six thousand or ten thousand or twenty thousand or thirty thousand, whatever it might be, on your first small independent feature like that, you're not going to get your money back, right? And you shouldn't even be concerned with getting your money back. What you're getting is you're getting the experience of making a feature film, and then you're getting the respect that comes along with the fact that you finished it and that credit where people now want to Love work it, with man. you and you've done it, right? You've done your feature. People want to work with you on the next one. So, you know, whether it's, you know, three people all pitching in 10 grand a piece and then this is this is what we're what we're spending on our film and it's basically paying for catering and props and locations and everybody's working for free and maybe some gear or whatever else post-production you know it is what it is and you know because you can self-distribute now you can just throw the thing on youtube doesn't cost you a dime to do that you can put it up on vimeo and make it uh you know a pay platform where you you know you're charging a dollar 99 or whatever but again why even do that just put it out there for free to people to see it you just want people to see it um you can you can have your film aggregated. There are people that you can pay, basically, to get the film just onto iTunes and Amazon and Google Play and things like that so that it's out there in the world, so that it has distribution, that people can find it. And, and really, that's that's the benefit. That's the, that's what you want is just to have it out there in the world for people to see. IMDb credit that you are a feature film producer, director, writer, you know, cinematographer, whatever it might be, and then that sets you up for that next thing working on that next bigger project or finding people who want to truly invest to get their money back you're not going to get any name actors you know for for those budgeted films so you're going to work with your local actors and your friends that are actors and whatever else but that's the benefit it doesn't come from selling it at that budget level it comes from you know just just getting it out there but you know that being said depends on the genre so I know uh, people in Florida that have made, you know, $15,000 horror films that um, got traditional distribution and made $45,000 back. You know, they got their money back plus, plus some. Um, and there are certain genres that you can do where that's possible and you don't have to have a name cast or anything like that. Horror, basically, you know, the one. Um, everybody's going to talk about, you know, Paranormal Activity or Blair Witch Project, you know. Again, the next time I see a deck with somebody that has Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity in it, it's like, just shoot me, because your film is not going to be that. Again, talking about outliers, yeah. you know, you can't tell an investor or tell somebody that your film is going to be an outlier. This is going to be a cult classic that everybody's going to love. You have no way of knowing that. That is completely unpredictable, and you can't, you can't plan that. You can plan to make it and get it out there, but you can't plan for that kind of thing, and odds are it's not going to happen, right? So just, so just make your film, enjoy making it, the process is like film school going through it. Even if you've been to film school, it's like going to film school again because you're making a feature and you're learning the process of doing that and putting it all together. So it's just super valuable from the experience alone. So good, man. I, I love that analogy to tying it to film school because the first one that you do is like, you know, everything is school of hard knocks on that first feature, man. Is there a specific genre that you feel like is a great starting point for that first feature? Because a lot of people have, have mentioned horror and whatnot, but is there, what would you say your recommendation would be for a genre film that's your first feature? Well, I'm gonna go a little a little different for you guys, a little outside the box, because everybody's gonna say horror, right? Because you can always get horror distributed. There are so many different channels out there, Shudder and you know everything else, and you can, you can just get your horror film out there. If you make a horror film, fine, it's gonna get distributed somewhere. Maybe you make your money back, maybe you won't, but you're getting your money back. But if you wanna make a film that will get out there in a particular genre that is always popular, make a Christmas movie. Mm, nice. Everybody loves Christmas movies. You can always make a Christmas movie. Christmas movies always sell. No matter what, you're going to be able to sell a Christmas movie. Um, make a Christmas movie, and you will be able to get distribution. Make a movie with kids and an animal in it. 
So I talked about it on the YouTube thing, but I'll give a little brief overview here. You know, I was in uh, I was in Cannes at the at the Cannes Film Festival. A friend of mine who's a producer reached out to me and said, "Hey, I just filled, sold this film to Lionsgate. You know, it was uh, it was called Army Dog, and it was you know dog kids, you know whatever kind of film. And they're like, what else you got? You know, we'd love to have some kind of uh, kids and a marine mammal, you know, humanities, whatever else. And he's like, I don't know, but I got a guy. And since, you know, I based in Clearwater, Florida, had been there, you know, for a long time and film commissioner there, he reached out. I was like, I don't know, come over to the, come over to my, you know, pavilion. We'll sit down and talk. So it comes over, we sit down, we come up with this crazy idea about a dolphin that gets sunburnt and stranded and this kid helps find it and rescue it. And, um, you know, he has a little YouTube channel that he does and we called it Bernie the Dolphin. You know, because they named the the dolphin Bernie because <laughs> nice. they sunburnt. You know, real original on our part there, and uh, and he basically went in and pitched it uh, to Grindstone, which is a division of Lionsgate, the next day, and they're like, "Great, we love it. Get us a script." And so, went back to Florida and got a writer that we know who's a teacher and was off school for the summer, and said, "Hey, if you uh, Terry, if you write this film for us and we get it sold, distributed, you know, here's how much money we're gonna we're gonna pay you for for this." And it's not a big sum or whatever, but uh, we Marty and I put this detailed treatment together send it to her had her start writing every 10 pages she would send us we would give her notes she finished a draft within one month marty took like a week or two did a pass on it we had a second draft gives that to grindstone and they come back and say great here's how much money we'll give you for this film for domestic distribution all across the u.s when it gets when it's done and so based off of that marty was then able to get a worldwide deal so we literally had the film sold um around the world on these two sales deals before it was even made and then I called a couple investors that I knew. They put the money into the project. We shot the thing. So from the time we pitched this idea in can to cameras rolling was seven months. We had this thing going. And then within a few months after that, you know, Grindstone Lionsgate took a look at it. They liked it. We weren't even done with the film yet. They asked for a sequel. <laughs> so we made Bernie the Dolphin 2. So we were shooting Bernie the Dolphin 2 when Bernie the Dolphin 1 came out on its uh, theatrical release. It was a, like a short one week, you know, theatrical release in, in 10 cities back in 2018 and so and then the next film came out the next year and so we had back-to-back two independent films Bernie the Dolphin 1 Bernie the Dolphin 2 that were both distributed um, around the world and you know I've seen them on Delta before you know I'm flying on Delta you can find it on Hulu it's on everything else and you know just from this idea of somebody said hey I, this is what we want this is what we need and made this kids and dolphin movie and <laughs> There you, kids and there you and, go. Kids and animals. And Christmas. And Christmas. Yeah. Kids and animals. Dogs. Dogs are easy. And if you make kids, animals, and Christmas <laughs> Whoa, all together. That's the winner. Oh, that's, that's winner. The, all right. I'm going to. It's the winning trifecta. That's yeah. the winning trifecta okay, right side, there. Side rabbit trail. I got to ask you. I know there's like always the debate with a lot of people. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie or is it an action movie? <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Thank there, you. No yes. question. Yes. Yeah. All right, everybody comment on uh, yeah. YouTube and on our podcast channel. Do you think Die Hard's a Christmas movie or an action movie? So good. <laughs> That's awesome, Tony. Man, so I got to ask about uh, Roger Deakins. You, we, you just hosted one of the most iconic DPs of all time here in Dallas. Um, tell me a little bit about just your heart behind that and what the mission was in bringing him here. Yeah, it's really great. So Andrew uh, Vela, who's in our office with the Film Commission, you know, he, when I first got here in January, you know, I started putting all these plans together, things that I wanted to do. And then sort of one day in February, he was like, hey, I want to bring Roger Deakins to town. And he had written this whole like long explanation trying to pitch me on it and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, great, let's do it. Um, 
you know, it wasn't hard to pitch me on that, right? It's like, let's just make it happen. And so we literally, uh, you know, just reached out to them on Instagram, just DM'd them and said, hey, we'd love to bring you to Dallas. Uh, he has a book that he had, um, you know, they'd done of photographs and was doing like a book tour and book signing and that kind of stuff. And it's like, we'll bring you in, host you for a book signing, all this kind of stuff. Got on the phone with um, with their team and kind of coordinated the whole thing and just put it together and made it happen, scheduled it for June. And then it was, you know, as as great as it possibly could have been. I don't think it could have went any better. You know, we, uh, we had Roger and his wife, James, who are, you know, partners in everything as guests on our podcast that we'll be launching. And then, you know, we had uh, like about 100 people. We did a whole thing at SMU that was really great and filmed that. And that's on our YouTube channel right now. So you can actually see every, you know, our whole Q&A with Roger Deakins um, at SMU. And then we did multiple screenings. We did like a screening of uh, Assassination of Jesse James. And he did an intro before that film. Showed Sicario. Didn't do any Q&A or anything after that. But then uh, on that Sunday of that weekend they were here, screened Blade Runner 2049 and had a two-hour Q&A wow. with, uh, with Roger and James after that where they answered every single question that anybody wanted to ask for two straight hours, basically. And so it was great. And so we have those on our YouTube channel. But they were, they were just the nicest, kindest, really humblest people, amazing to have here, and just couldn't be more thrilled than to have worked with them on that. And as a result of doing that, you know, uh, they really enjoyed their time so much that they have started reaching out to us and saying, hey, would you like to have this person, you know, in Dallas? Or would you like to have this person in Dallas? And so we haven't announced it yet, but we'll be announcing sometime soon. We have a, a uh, another Oscar nominee that we'll bring to Dallas in December. And I'm not going to say what field they work <laughs> in in the industry, um, but not a cinematographer this time. Something a little bit different. And we're going to do a very similar thing in December with uh, with this person as well. So it should be a lot of fun. That's a little tease. And we'll, uh, we'll announce that uh you know, coming up soon. That's exciting. Can't wait to hear. Yeah, man, that's so cool. You know, as a director of photography myself, Roger is, you know, he's one of the greatest to ever do it. And it was such a cool thing to see that he got to come to Dallas and invest in the community. And I was so bummed I couldn't be there. I was out of town on another project and I was just like, of course, the one time Roger comes to Dallas, I don't get to be here and shake his hand and have him sign a copy of uh, of the book. But man, it is so cool just to hear about all the things that you guys are doing for the city and bringing Roger to town, uh, pouring back into the Dallas film community here and helping independent filmmakers, uh, you know, make their films possible. Um, before we wrap you out of here, though, we want to uh, ask you five questions that we ask uh, all of the guests that come on the show. And so my first question for you is if you could do it all again as a filmmaker, what is one thing that you would do differently in your career? I would go to law school so that I could do all of my own legal contracts and paperwork and not have to pay attorneys to do it for creating film and television. Brilliant. That's, yes. Love it. So good. So good. If you go to law school, that's, yeah. that's the answer. Don't go to film school. All right. Number uh, two, what excites you the most about the current film industry or market? I'm excited of just the potential in Dallas. There's so much that I think can happen here. You know, one of the reasons I took this job is because I think Dallas should be Atlanta, but bigger. You know, mm. we should have more stuff happening here than anywhere else in the in the country especially because people are moving away from new york and la now so that's what excites me is i think you know that if we keep this uh keep this going if texas keeps the state incentive you know maintained as it is we're really gonna grow and just explode uh, explode this area love it come so on good. come on yep. dallas come on texas 
Tony, what is one piece of advice that you can give to filmmakers who are trying to grow in their craft or in their business? One piece of advice. Meet as many people as possible. You have to network. You know, this is very much a who you know industry, and you can be great at what you do, but it's still about who you know. And one of the biggest ways to do that that I always tell people is go to film festivals. There mm -hmm. are a ton of film festivals in Dallas, so if you're in Dallas, you know, go to you know, Dallas International, go to Oak Cliff, go to Asian Film Festival, go to USA, whatever they are, you know, go to all these different film festivals, meet the filmmakers that are there. Even if you don't have a film, you know, people always say, oh, I don't want to go because I don't have a film in the festival. So what? You know, you're going to meet other filmmakers there. And then go to, you know, if you have the ability to travel and go to other festivals as well, you know, go to other ones. Sundance is stupid expensive. Don't waste your money there. Um, <laughs> you know, it's so expensive to go to, and you can get a lot more bang for your buck going, buck going to, uh, you know, going to other cool festivals that are all over the country. There's a, there are a lot of great ones. And this is speaking from someone who founded a film festival that we're going into our 19th year in Florida. And I'll give you a quick pitch for Sunscreen Film Festival in St. Pete, you know, coming into year 19. I've built my entire career off of, you know, meeting people at film festivals and, you know, running that film festival. All right. That's a bucket list item. Joey and I are going to have to come to uh, Florida Sunscreen to see your... Sunscreen Film yeah, Festival. We're going to make it. We're going to make it happen. Maybe we can bring the team. That'll that's be right. great. Yeah. Man, so where as an industry are we headed in filmmaking right now and what should we be focusing on? It's uh, fascinating to see kind of where the industry is headed because just the structure of it has changed so much with streaming and, and the, the money is so different when it comes to distribution. Mm. One piece of advice that I would give to people is learn how to shoot on an LED wall because the technology is really continuing to grow and just people don't know how to shoot on it yet. And if you are someone who can shoot with and on an LED wall, know what you're doing on that, you're gonna open up a lot of job possibilities for yourself uh, moving forward. That's one of the things that I've been wanting to do more of and it's such a hard thing to break into because there's not uh, a lot of opportunity to learn on it before you get hired to do the gig. And so, yeah, if you can, if you can learn on volume studios and that's definitely where the future is for filmmaking, just with how accessible and easy it makes. I haven't told you this yet, Joey, but I got some exciting news. I've got a volume wall you're uh, lying. opportunity and we're going to be providing. You're lying. Yeah, very soon, very soon. So I'll tell you about it after the podcast. Heck yeah. I got to tease you on that. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so I am really curious to hear your answer on this last question, but who is one filmmaker that you admire and why? One filmmaker that I admire and why. You know, there are, there are obviously a lot that come to mind when you start thinking of, you know, what are your influences growing up and what did you watch and what did you really enjoy seeing? And so I gotta try and think of something that's a little different and outside the box that people don't normal would normally say. You know, obviously, you know, growing up in the era that I grew up in the eighties, uh, you know, Raiders Lost Ark, my favorite film, and so mm. of course Spielberg and all that kind of stuff. But that's a very stereotypical answer. But you know, who's a great filmmaker to admire is Roger Corman. Roger Corman never lost a dollar on any film that he ever made. That guy made a whole bunch of you know bad movies over the years. You know, people might consider low quality movies, but also cult classics in a lot of respects but never never lost a dime on anything that he made. Always made money, and so people always gave him money to make that next feature film. Mm, that's so cool. That's yeah, a good I actually one. didn't know that. That's really fascinating. I can't remember what film it was, but there was some project that Roger Corman was shooting back in the day, probably in the 60s or 70s, and they wrapped two days early and under budget on this film. And so because they had two more days of scheduled shooting and he had more money, 
he shot an entire feature film in those last two days <laughs> no and basically way. made two feature films for the budget of the one film that he had because he because he had the, he had the crew he had the cast and he had money left over and he's like well I'm not going to let this go to waste I'm going to shoot an entire feature in these two days and then was able to get two films out of out of one and it was sure it was terrible but the point is he made it got it distributed made money on all this stuff and the guy just never lost money on anything that he made and you know um, you know Roger Corman is the person who taught James Cameron how to be a filmmaker. Wow. So we would not have James Cameron as a filmmaker today if it wasn't for Roger Corman. Wow. That's where he started. That's where he started his career. Wow. That is really, really fascinating. Yeah, James is one of my favorite filmmakers. I grew up just a huge Terminator fan and uh, Alien, The Abyss, just all of his movies that, you know, he, he had his foundation on. I was a huge uh, James fan growing up, so that's super cool, man. Well, uh, before, we, before we get you out of here, man, how can people who want to get connected with you find you and get connected, man? Yeah, absolutely. You know, super easy. You can just uh, find Dallas Film and Creative Industries online. It's just dallascreates.org, I believe. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and YouTube. You just, you just Google Dallas Film Commission. You'll be able to pull all that, all that kind of stuff up. Same thing for myself. Just, you know, my name, Tony Armour. You can find my Instagram and website and all the other, you know, LinkedIn and everything else that's out there. So, uh, just search those and you can find us and follow us and you know see all the information that we're going to continue to put out there in the workshops and the YouTube videos and everything else that we're working on. And more to come. We'll have some cool announcements coming soon. That's awesome. And we'll make sure to put all those links uh, for the Dallas uh, Film and Creative Commission in the YouTube uh, section so that people can click through. I strongly suggest, again, the YouTube series, the educational content that they're putting out. I'm learning a lot as a producer and director. Um, filmmakers can definitely take advantage of those resources. Uh, and then, man, make sure you uh, subscribe if you're listening to this podcast. Um, and uh, Joey, what should they? What's the comment? Oh, we already said this. Do you think uh, um, <laughs> Die, Die Hard, Hard is a Christmas <laughs> movie or action movie? Leave a comment in the podcast. We'll we'll tally up the votes and uh, find out See, the truth. That's right, Tony. Thank you so much for joining us today, man. It has been an absolute privilege to have you on the pod. Thank you for your time, your wisdom, and your expertise, man. And we look forward to seeing what you guys do for the city of Dallas in the future to come, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This has been a great episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Rough Cut Club. Mm -hmm.